and welcome to the In Focus podcast at The Hindu, which brings you the most important news and views from around the world. I'm Narayan Lakshman, Associate Editor at The Hindu, and I'm your host for this episode. As the U.S. heads into what is arguably one of the most impactful and important elections in recent times, we have we see two parties competing with each other, two leaders of the parties competing with each other who have extremely differentiated uh, political outlooks, uh, worldviews. On the one hand, the incumbent President Donald Trump, uh, and on the on the Democratic side is Joe Biden, former Vice President. And whether you know we are directly involved or not in this whole political cycle, uh, the ripple effect of this election will be felt far beyond the borders of the U.S. itself, and certainly in India, uh, whether in terms of trade, in terms of geopolitics, in terms of defense, or just even what it means for the two people, the peoples of these two nations. So to discuss and unravel and explain all of these complex uh, sort of impacts and effects that we could see from this election, uh, we have with us today, I'm very pleased to have uh, Dhruva Jayashankar, uh, the director of the U.S. Initiative at the Observer Research Foundation. He was formerly uh, with Brookings India and before that with the German Marshall Fund in the U.S. and before that with the Brookings Institution. So welcome, Dhruva, and it's really good to have you uh, join us today. Thank you for having me. Great. So uh, as I mentioned, uh, the election is pretty close. And uh, do you firstly get a sense of what sort of foreign policy questions are the most important ones, if at all, in this election, or is it entirely about uh, domestic priorities? Well, in some ways, it seems like there's so many issues at play in this election uh, that it's hard to even get a set, you know, grapple with the, with the sense of what the priorities are. I would, I would still su suggest that the, the, the biggest issues, at least for most voters, and this has been shown in, in public opinion surveys as well, really are, are domestic in nature. Uh, and they relate to uh, issues like uh, the economy. I think that's often number one. Um, immigration is, is high, uh, law and order, uh, crime, something that Trump himself has been emphasizing. Um, social issues often playing out in the nature of Supreme Court uh, nominees and, and appointments. Uh, and the president gets to, to decide that, and particularly if they have a supportive Congress can, can actually get through um, uh, the Supreme Court nominees of their choice. And that, that the composition of the Supreme Court will then determine uh, various um, you know, social issues. So I would say those are the kinds of issues that, that really are dominating the conversation uh, today. Um, and, you know, foreign policy, I think, is there. Uh, there is now, uh, particularly with respect to China, there is an and you know, China trade policy. Uh, there, uh, you have elements of foreign policy that have a, a strong domestic resonance. Um, I would say another issue is uh, military interventions and alliances. So that's another area. So in, in all, you know, I would say those are areas of foreign policy which, uh, which are, uh, do have a resonance with the electorate in the U.S. this cycle uh, because they have, a, in some ways, a very strong domestic uh, implications as well. Okay. So um, given what you just said, we obviously want to know more about what a presidency on either side of the party lines would mean for India. Um, so 
Of course, Trump being incumbent, we know quite a bit about his worldview and we can certainly revisit that. Uh, but, you know, Joe Biden and his running mate, uh, Kamala Harris of Indian origin, vice presidential nominee. Uh, can you talk to us a bit about what sort of priorities they might have? Firstly, let's look at in terms of trade and economics. Uh, what would a, a sort of economic uh, policy, foreign policy uh, look like under a Biden-Harris uh, ticket? So, uh, you know, Biden has actually spoken to that directly and, uh, you know, basically said that he is in favor of greater trade between the United States and other countries, as long as that trade, I mean, and this is an important caveat, uh, actually helps uh, the middle class in, in America. And, you know, so, you know, what, he, what, what, what that implies is more equitable trade, uh, trade, trade deals, that, uh, trade agreements that create jobs in the United States uh, and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, that, that I think he's been quite clear about, uh, which what I, again, I, what I would read into that is that he does not plan, unlike Trump, to go aggressively after countries which have large trade deficits uh, with the U.S., uh, he's also said quite, uh, quite openly that he's against uh, the imposition of unilateral tariffs against countries, particularly China, because he believes that that overall uh, hurts the uh, U.S. economy and hurts, uh, hurts jobs in the middle class. Um, so, you know, I think that that is the broad outlook, which is a, a broadly favorable uh, sort of pro-trade position, um, one that they believe creates jobs. However, he has gone, he's fallen short of uh, an explicit endorsement of something like the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was a major trade deal that was concluded uh, under and negotiated and concluded under the Obama administration, uh, which Congress gave a sort of tentative approval for, but uh, which uh, Trump uh, very soon after he was elected to office unilaterally withdrew from. Um, and there, you know, there, there has been some opposition to TPP uh, on uh, not just from Trump and, and Republicans, but also the left wing of the Democratic Party, which has some misgivings about what that would mean for, for jobs in uh, the US and particularly how it will affect unions and such. So uh, I think it, it's not quite clear whether even if Biden is elected and even if he decides to revisit TPP, whether he would have sufficient support in the US Congress to ratify uh, that, that agreement. So uh, I would say, again, so his, his trade agenda, I think, falls short of a, a much more aggressive uh, trade posture that you might otherwise express, express, expect from a centrist Democrat. But it certainly seems to be more open to international trade than the Trump administration. Okay. Tell me something from what you're saying now. Is there a sense of an unresolved conflict almost in the democratic uh, sort of paradigm? Because on the one hand, as you said right at the start, uh, the American middle class prospering you know, regardless of what kind of trade deals you have or trade paradigm you have, is, an, is a priority that even Biden definitely has subscribed to publicly. And yet Trump has made the case right since his campaign days that indeed the American middle class, you know, talk about Rust Belt workers in Wisconsin and wherever else, they have all been economically disenfranchised because of globalization, because of openness and because of the sort of uh, you know, the effects of trade in that sense. So how, how can, how do you think Democrats, with, uh, Biden and his team will sort of tread uh, across this very tight, this tightrope, this balancing act that they have to do? No, it, it is, you know, I mean, one of the interesting things about US politics, and I suppose this is true in other places too, is, you know, the Democrats and Republicans are both big tents uh, and they're, they're both broad coalitions uh, consisting of different groups that have different priorities and different agendas and sometimes competing interests as well. So I think there, there will be an issue about how to deal with uh, these competing interests. 
the progressive side of the Democratic Party in particular uh, has, uh, has those misgivings that you pointed out. Uh, but, you know, what we, you know, I think an interesting development is as part of Bernie Sanders, uh, who was in some ways the last major um, uh, opponent of Biden's in the primary process uh, and who represents in some ways the left wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, once he, uh, in some ways, uh, stepped, stepped out of the race and, and uh, gave it to Biden, one of the things that was done was uh, the creation of a number of uh, committees where both Biden and, and Sanders campaigns nominated a number of people uh, on, I think, eight different issues, um, where the idea being that they would find some sort of reconciliation in, in those areas uh, for, for a common agenda. And it's interesting to see what is on there. It, it, you know, it, it's issues like the environment. Um, you know, one of the things they've been pushing for is a so-called Green New Deal, uh, the progressives, that is, um, where which would create jobs uh, be generated by government spending, but would actually contribute over long term to a more sustainable environment, environmentally friendly economy. Um, so, you know, that, that's one area that was uh, immigration is another one, law and order and justice was another one. Um, so, you know, you didn't, uh, most of the issues didn't have a very direct international component. You still get the sense that Biden and his team will hold foreign policy and defense quite closely. And that those are not issues that, again, barring military intervention and defense spending, are not really high on the agenda of progressives. Um, but they will be, you know, you are already seeing this negotiated process of trying to um, uh, trying to, to, to appeal to these different constituencies uh, or when it comes to the economy. Right, right. Um, and you also just mentioned immigration. And I think uh, that's something that people are watching quite closely here. Uh, we've obviously seen with the Trump administration, there's been sort of back and forth on that, but in a sense, the tightening of the screws progressively in terms of, you know, the highly skilled visas, the green cards, uh, other, other categories of visas which could impact India. And traditionally, um, I think, in a sense, Trump has veered away from some, uh, you know, traditional uh, Republican values in the sense of they are much more, uh, you know, expected to be in favor of free trade, even fewer barriers to tariff, on, uh, sorry, tariffs, uh, and fewer barriers to movement of people as well. But uh, in that sense, do you think that both the Democrats and the Republicans are now actually on the same page and they will be looking at big issues like comprehensive immigration reform should Biden uh, come to power? And will it, will it look quite different from what Trump has in mind? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I think a lot will hinge on whether the Democrats get control of the Senate. And it's looking quite possible at this point of time. Uh, they uh, just need, if they win the presidency as well, just three to tie the new seats to win uh, outright 51 to get 51 out of 100 seats so some of it will hinge on that uh they're expected to retain the house uh house of representatives the lower chamber um but on the immigration front you know i think there are three elements that have direct implications yeah at least a lot of interest one is students uh the, you know india's uh, has the second largest number of foreign students in the united states um and they, you know there was some uh, attempts recently to curb uh, student suspend student visas for for uh, students who are not taking in person classes. Uh, this was eventually uh, 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 overcome. Walk back. walk back, if you will. Uh, the second um, issue is H one Bs, uh, where Indians are the largest number of subscribers. Uh, these are high skilled non immigrant visas, but uh, which are often a, a, a pathway towards. Uh, longer term uh, work uh, in, in the United States. And the third is, is green cards, uh, which are both employ uh, which are permanent residents, uh, 
single sperm residency, which can be um, attained via personal uh, or, or, or through professional means. And uh, particularly on the, the professional route, uh, Indians are by far the, amongst the largest uh, subscribers to that as well. Uh, there's an immense backlog. So all three of those have been somewhat you know, thrown into question by the Trump administration, particularly in the last few months. Uh, Biden has suggested that there, there will be liberalization on all those fronts. Um, in fact, the green card process may be tweaked to ensure that the Indians are, are, uh, get, uh, are not subject to country-specific quotas in the same way. Uh, again, we'll see whether that happens. However, you know, I think there is a larger problem of comprehensive immigration reform in the United States. Uh, and it's stuck uh, at, in this place, whereby um, uh, any change to the status quo will, whether it is moving to a points-based system, which is a merit-based merit system that you know, prioritizes people with STEM educations, English language skills, um, you know, younger, more, more highly educated people, or whether it moves towards uh, uh, other changes in another direction, either way, it will, it will actually um, dis probably disadvantage uh, many um, Hispanic uh, families in particular. And so you have a strong Hispanic caucus in Congress that uh, wants to see their issues, which they've been, you know, which have been on the agenda for, for decades, for a couple of decades now, uh, moved into, made into more of a priority. Uh, and sometimes, you know, some of these issues are actually coming into, uh, coming up against uh, resistance there, which is how, let's deal with the, the issue of these uh, undocumented migrants, particularly Hispanic migrants, uh, first before we, we we get to other issues. But either way, if there is some of this kind of comprehensive uh, immigration reform, the net beneficiaries will probably be uh, Asian Americans uh, on, on balance and Indian Americans uh, probably disproportionately as well. Um, but again, there, there'll be ma there are many political hurdles to to achieving that, even if the Democrats manage to get uh, a sizable. I mean, and, you know, speaking of the hurdles, uh, you were speaking of the internal ones and the biggest external one, in a sense, is the impact of COVID-19. And now that Trump has already, you know, as I said, tightened the screws, in a sense, uh, on the machine, is it really feasible for Biden, should he win, to go, to walk that back? Because, again, you know, it's, going to, it's it takes something to explain that politically to your constituents. Yeah, I think that would be less problematic. A lot of what uh, Trump has actually done has been has been done by executive order. It's been unilateral. It's been th he's been trying to push the agenda of what he can do unilaterally with with executive authority without actually getting a lot of legislation passed. In fact, I think if you look back in the last four years, there've been few things that Congress has actually supported that which go against, uh, I'm sorry, go in line with Trump's agenda that can't be walked back. The the um, Exceptions, I think, are the uh, tax cuts, uh, which were, were quite popular, uh, and Supreme Court nominees that, that he made two in particular. Uh, those are things that can't be undone. But a lot of the other things, you know, can be undone with, with the stroke of a pen. And particularly if Biden wins a resounding majority, which is, again, possible, uh, you can see him, you see that as a popular mandate to undo a lot of what, what Trump has done over the last four years. So, so we'll see. But I, I think so far, uh, the, the indications are that, that Biden will walk a lot of that back, particularly a lot of the immigration, uh, you know, the, the two things in particular, which is suspending uh, processing of green cards and, and H-1Bs uh, are certainly things that can be done quite easily by executive order. Okay. Um, so now turning to the other big question, which has sort of sideways echoes here, the China issue, um, you know, we have the ongoing border dispute and it's really flared up, but specifically looking at the trade aspect of that, that relationship, 
do you feel that a Biden presidency would be far more, far more accommodative and try to find a middle ground rather than the sort of Trumpian approach of, you know, tariff wars and then pulling the many other countries across the world into it? Um, and do you see that as maybe, you know, do you think that will bring more sort of stability to the region as such on the economic front or is that going to make things worse? Uh, it's it's hard to say, particularly on the economic front, because again, you, it's not simply a China issue, but there's also you know coronavirus having distressed the U.S. economy. Uh, there will be you know this this kind of skepticism of of opening up again. Uh, Biden has again said that he would he would uh, lift the tariffs uh, imposed on China, but again, the question marks. When he was asked this by an interviewer, which is, are you going to just do it unilaterally, or will you try and get some concession from China in return? And he didn't have a, a proper answer to that, unfortunately. So we'll, we'll, we'll see on, on the economic front. That being said, I think there is a real hardening of sentiment about China in the United States, like cuts across party lines. Um, and this is playing out on, uh, you know, you see this particularly in the technological sector. Um, in fact, there'll be some uh, nonpartisan reports coming out in the next few months to advise the, the, the next administration, which all uh, broadly seem to indicate that uh, the U.S. should take a more uh, when it comes to sharing technology and, and investment in, with, with China. Uh, I mean, there are real concerns about uh, industrial espionage and, and, and such. Right. Um, and the, the, the leaking of, of technology to create, to, to help China, that, that helps China become a peer competitor of the United States. So I think that that concern is there and that will continue under a democratic administration as well. Um, but I think the, the question is, we, while we may not go back to a, a 20, 13, 2014 scenario or something like that, where you did see uh, a much more engagement between the US and China. Uh, certainly, I think you'll see attempts by the Biden, uh, Biden administration to try and reach some accommodation. So I suspect it will be somewhere in between uh, a very sort of hawkish absolutist line and uh, one of extreme open engagement. And uh, there still is an internal deliberation amongst uh, democratic advisors, particularly in the national security community about where to go on that. Uh, a key thing to look for, I think is less who becomes Secretary of Defense or Secretary of State, because there I think their views will be quite set, but more who becomes Secretary of Treasury or Trade Representative and what their attitudes, in some ways, what the economic managers uh, in a democratic administration, what their worldviews would be, I think it would be in some ways more, uh, more indicative. And just again, segueing from what you just said, uh, big picture outlook, is a Biden uh, is America under Biden, President, uh, possible President Biden, going to be more worried about the, ri the rise of China as an Asian power? Uh, and, you know, would it sort of uh, lean more towards a large democracy like India uh, versus, you know, the Trump administration, which has appeared to be a little more, you know, I not isolationist, but more preoccupied with what's happening within America rather than uh, you know, get embroiled in anything abroad. Is, is there a big difference, a sort of a schism between those two outlooks? And will that matter to India, how India plays its cards? No, I, I don't think, I mean, you know, partly I think because of the systemic uh, change that has taken place on, on China policy in particular, and, and by extension, Asia policy uh, in the United States, uh, I don't think the schism would be as wide as, as some might expect. Um, uh, there will be differences, but uh, it, I think it'll be a difference. Differences around the margins when it comes to that. Uh, in contrast to other issues such as the transatlantic relationship, where there are serious divides about how much uh, the U.S. should commit to the, the alliance with, with uh, NATO allies. 
Uh, but on you know, I think on Asia and and with the, you know the supplies to India particularly as well, um, the, the the differences won't be as acute, uh, for a few reasons. Um, one is you know I think for for all the um, you know despite the sort of isolationist uh, um, bluster in some ways, you have seen a Trump administration reaching out to allies in the Pacific, partly because there is not an expectation that they are committing as much in terms of a, you know mutual defense or. or um, so there is a sense that the Asian allies are actually, and Asian partners like India, are actually shouldering some end of the burden themselves. Uh, so in, in that sense, uh, that, that's been sort of less controversial. We've actually seen um, uh, a deepening in some ways of, of cooperation, on, uh, particularly on the security side with Japan, Australia, India, uh, several countries in Southeast Asia. On, on the democratic side, I think that will continue. One of the interesting things that Biden has spoken about is a uh, summit of democracies that he plans to hold um, uh, after being elected. Uh, now, the details on that are quite short. What does that entail? What will be on the agenda? You know, who, uh, around the margins, who, who, what countries constitute a democracy, what don't? Uh, so I think we, we, we'll still await details, but he, he actually spelled this out in an essay in Foreign Affairs in April uh, when, um, uh, when he was uh, early, earlier in his campaign. Um, so, you know, I, I think so, things like that suggest that he would be uh, look at India as a partner, uh, would seek to deepen the partnership, uh, although would emphasize different things, I think, than a, a Trump administration. Okay, okay. And then uh, last question, uh, just looking at pure politics, uh, you know, there have been question marks surrounding, you know, the, whether the current administration in India the, and the party, the BJP, which is behind it, um, have the sort of relationship with the Democratic Party across, as you said, the very large Democratic tent, which would sort of maximize the potential of, of a bilateral relationship. So in what I'm getting at is there are elements within the Democratic Party who have had, who, uh, with whom there have been some frictions in the past. Uh, mm -hmm. There have been some who have, uh, within the Democratic Party, who have alleged uh, or have made, who have spoken publicly about what they consider to be uh, maybe human rights violations or violations of religious minorities, uh, right to freedom of uh, practicing their religion. Um, so these things have in a sense created a schism within the Democratic Party. It may not be a permanent uh, sort of a, a gap to bridge, but will that play out? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, because obviously we're going to see the, the Indian current administration continue in power for a, a few years from now. So I'm trying to understand whether that will have an impact in this. Yeah, so some of the concerns I think were, you know, they're motivated by I think three things, and there was in some ways three agendas that came together on that. One is um, th there is a constituency, and there always will be a constituency in in the U.S. Congress, uh, on, on, by the way, in both parties, but particularly on the Democrats, who see human rights and uh, pluralism as a sort of uh, central to the U.S.'s foreign policy, and these are people who are vocally critical of. Uh, I mean, they're not just, it's not just India for them. I mean, you know, they've been vocally critical of China on, on, on Uyghurs and, and um, uh, Hong Kong. They've been vocally critical of Pakistan. They've been vocally critical of the United States for that matter and, you know, issues uh, on human rights. So I think there will always be a constituency like that. And we, we should expect them to uh, periodically raise concerns. And again, the, the, the statements on India will make the news, but it's not just about India is what I'm saying. It's, it's part of that global view. Um, so I, I think the, 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 that's one constituency. I think there's a second constituency that is uh, also now 
um, engaged in certain identity politics as well in, in, in the United States. And there is now a very strong and vocal and very well-organized Muslim American community for whom certain issues matter very strongly for them. Uh, and in fact, the number one issue for them is actually the Israel-Palestine issue. Um, so, you know, you, you see now um, uh, 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 criticism coming from certain quarters in the U.S. Congress about uh, Israel, uh, Israeli settlements. And some of that is also, you know, if you see um, on the agenda, and I mean, the reason why this is, is, is so explicit is, uh, you, you know, Bernie Sanders' con uh, comments on Kashmir were in the context of uh, an event he was doing for Muslim American voters. Uh, Biden, you know, in, when Biden's put out an agenda for uh, Muslim Americans had mentioned it, it name-checked Kashmir amongst other issues. But equally, again, there were there was criticism of Myanmar, there was criticism of China, there was criticism of several other places. So uh, again, I, I think that there's a, there's an element of that as well. And I think the third element at play was a certain bit of partisanship or the perceived uh, belief that uh, you know India was working very much with the Republicans. And I think attempts have been made uh, subsequently and even before to quash that and to show that, you know, the majority of Indian Americans vote Democrat still, uh, the majority of Indian American donors are Democrat. Uh, and in fact, even events like when, when Trump, uh, in the, the Howdy Modi event in Texas, in Houston, uh, was attended by a large number of Democratic um, uh, politicians, including the speaker, uh, the, 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 I'm sorry, the, the majority leader of the House, uh, Sidney Hoyer, the mayor of Houston, who was a Democrat, uh, several members of Congress as well. So I think that that, that issue, I think, has been, uh, you know, addressed and, and you know, the, Biden himself has spoken on Indian Independence Day uh, on August 15th, said that he will want, look forward to working with, with India. But I do think the first two issues will, will continue to have some resonance, uh, particularly from certain strong constituencies in the U.S. Congress. Okay, fantastic. Uh, that's all we have time for. But Dhruva, thank you for joining us. Um, that was very insightful. And possibly we'll uh, circle back to you as the campaign cycle reaches the final, absolute final days. Um, so thanks very much for joining us.